When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, you are listening to episode 50 of EcoChic. EcoChic is a podcast all about practical science and sustainability, and I cannot believe we have made it to 50 episodes. I'm so excited, and I want to just thank everyone so much for being so supportive and encouraging me throughout this journey. I love your feedback, and I love that we can have this conversation every single week. I think a lot about climate change, and this podcast has been an incredible way to be able to share some of that knowledge and just encourage all y'all to be more responsible citizens of the planet. So I want to go ahead and thank you. If EcoChic has brought you some value in the last 50 episodes, please go ahead and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Here in the podcast listening app, it's super, super easy, and I appreciate it so much. And it's even so helpful if you could leave a review of something that you'd like to see more of or something that you really enjoyed, because it gives me a lot of insight as to where we want to take this conversation in the future. I'm really excited this week to be sitting down with my really, really good friend, Christina Lizzo. Christina is a master's degree candidate at Northern Arizona University, where I recently received my master's degree from, and we are both from the Climate Science and Solutions Master's Program, and that's how we kind of got to know each other. Christina and I were recently on a hike, and we were just chit-chatting back and forth about energy and where we see the field going in the future, and Christina is really, really passionate about discussing fracking from an educational perspective. I think fracking is a really interesting conversation to have because sometimes it's a little bit controversial and political in a sense, and Christina and I do talk about fracking as an industry and as a means of securing energy, but we also discuss things like geopolitics, which is something that I'm really excited to be introducing this week on the podcast. Geopolitics is quite literally the theory that geography can influence politics, and that in turn influences power, especially when we're discussing things like energy and oil. And I think this is a really fun conversation to open up because we do get into the idea of individual actions and where everyone plays in the sort of tier system of energy companies and big corporations, and also just your influence on politics when it comes to reaching out to your local representatives. So this was an interesting conversation for us to have because while it began all about fracking, we do kind of transition into the discussion of renewables and where we stand on that. In grad school, I did take a class all about energy, and I will never forget this. I think that I've said this before on the podcast, but on the very first day of class, the professor said, when you plug your computer into the wall, do you ever think about where that electricity is coming from? And I was just kind of blown away because I don't think that deeply. Most people do not think that deeply about how you are charging your laptop. Does that make sense? And I think that's a really easy baseline idea to give you of just how deep we are enthralled in our energy system. So it does really matter to have a larger conversation and just educate ourselves a little bit about where that energy is coming from and how that kind of plays into our larger society and our larger economic systems. So for that reason, I thought that this was a really interesting, insightful conversation. We don't get into anything like too in-depth because again, the idea is that energy and this kind of education should be accessible to everyone. We do talk a little bit about the Clean Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act, which if you are interested in getting more into like the political side of environmental protection in the United States, I would love to get into that. 
I am deeply interested in American politics when it comes to environmental regulations, and I do have quite a bit of experience in that field, so if you're interested in talking about that, you let me know. But I thought this was a really fun way to start that conversation just about politics and energy and how we are all kind of playing into this larger system. So that being said, I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Christina. Christina, before we get started, can you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? So hi, my name is Christina Lizzo. I'm um, in the Climate Science and Solutions program at NAU. I'm originally from New York, and I have a bachelor's degree in geology from SUNY New Paltz. I've always had a love for the environment, and I really, which I'll probably talk about today, is um, my love of, well, not love, but (laughs) the issues around fracking. So I was really inspired by that, which made me want to come all the way across the country and study climate science. I like that we are talking about fracking today because fracking is an oddly controversial subject in that we do get quite a bit of energy from just fracking practices in general, fracking processes, but there is a lot of kind of taboo around fracking and people are opposed to the idea of fracking but don't always necessarily understand like the whole environmental impacts of what they are against, quote unquote. So I would love to first talk about like what got you interested in the topic of fracking. So what originally got me interested was an English class that I was taking my sophomore year. I needed to write a research paper on any controversial topic. And I remember talking to my dad actually, and he mentioned fracking. That was the first time I ever heard of the word. So I decided to do some research and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. So I did some research and I actually found a documentary called Gasland by Josh Fox and it just completely changed my life. I highly recommend everyone watch it. And I thought I was so interested in the geology aspect of it at first and then I realized that there were so many other environmental issues that I didn't even think of. But on the contrary, I also wanted to figure out the pros and cons. I wanted to see the other side of the story and why there's this huge energy boom in the United States and really what were some of the benefits. And it was just really, really interesting to me. So I I literally had like a 20-page paper. I had like, I don't know, over 20 sources. And I, I even talked to my American politics professor about this, who was an environmentalist. Like I really went ham on this project. Um, I had a whole presentation and I actually, I gave the presentation. I had some cartoons. I had, I was very interactive. I had a video, but it was the end of class. And like half of my class actually walked out at the end of the presentation. But I was like, there's a really cool video at the end. And my professor honestly just ended up giving me a 100 because she was like, that was just so impressive because you were so passionate about it and that you should like continue into this. No, absolutely. So before we get any further, I would love to just like set the scene. What is fracking? So fracking is a type, well, right now they they have um, horizontal drilling. So it's really called hydraulic fracturing. It's this new type of technology to extract natural gas and oil from these reserves. It was a huge boom in the Middle East. And since then, a lot of geopolitics kind of go into this whole thing this organization called OPEC and they they control like 40% of the world's oil reserves or at least back in 2015 that's what the statistic was and so the United States decided to create this new technology and what they do is essentially they drill down into the source rock and they pump a lot of water and a lot of other harmful chemicals and sand and it creates cracks in the rock and they just extract the oil from that 
So there are a lot of harmful chemicals in that's that's being pumped down. There's there's sand to open up the cracks and just yeah, it's really nasty stuff. That was all actually exempt from a lot of the regulations that George Bush put through. If I'm not mistaken, like the Clean Water Act and all those other you know great regulations um, were just exempt from this. So there's a lot of environmental issues that happen. Um, one of the main things that people always think about are earthquakes, and that in the initial extraction, it you know cracks open the rock and then you form earthquakes. That's actually a very minor problem, although it is a pretty big problem. The other thing is when the gas is being extracted, sometimes it can leak out. There's also problems with the groundwater, and then of course the wastewater afterwards. Lots of emissions are are emitted through the entire process. So the whole thing is just really, really bad and like pretty nasty and just not regulated at all. But that's because the energy industries are just so powerful in this country. When we talk about things like groundwater and wastewater, is that the chemicals that we are pumping into rock for fracking that are just being seeped into groundwater and wastewater? So the initial water that's being taken usually is just regular surface water. It's usually just clean. And then they combine that with chemicals and other stuff. So they, yeah, they make it pretty nasty. They pump it out. And now it's got a little bit of the, you know, the oil and stuff. So it just, it's really gross and they don't do anything with it. They, for a while, were just dumping it in whatever waterway they wanted, which you can't do in any other industry. There are regulations and laws against that, but they are exempt. It's in writing that they are exempt from this. So it was a huge problem and they'll dump it into any kind of surface water or whatever. And it just leaches out into people's drinking water. Yikes. Okay. So I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of drinking water because when we first started talking about this, I was so excited to hear a case study type example from you about the state of New York and their regulations on fracking when it comes to drinking water. So I'm really interested in talking about this because as we think about people being nervous about drinking water contamination, it also makes a difference to know who is in power in that situation and how you can really make regulation happen. So I would love to just hear a little bit more about like a really good example of a place that was able to kind of stop fracking from infringing upon their drinking water. Mm-hmm. So there are many ways, and obviously policy is number one, and that's kind of why I want to study policy. I'm currently taking a class on this right now, but also just people with a lot of power in society, uh, usually the more wealthy. So particularly like from where I am, I'm from in New York. So Manhattan primarily gets their drinking water from upstate New York. So there was a lot of fracking that was going on up until... I want to see 2014, but I I could be wrong, but around there fairly recently. And the more wealthier people in Manhattan and New York City didn't really like the idea of all these environmental, it was all these environmental issues and they didn't want their drinking water to be contaminated. And so they actually had enough power to basically say that to the representatives and they, yeah, they created a ban on fracking in New York, which was pretty crazy. So they, all they really had to do was talk to their reps and, you know, create enough, a big enough voice. So I think that's really powerful in just encouraging people to get politically active. Mm-hmm. I am a very big advocate for it. So like, while this is not a political podcast, it's not like terribly difficult to figure out a lot of my political opinions <laughs> on a lot of environmental issues. I think that it's really important to think about the education that goes into just reaching mm-hmm. out to your politicians. And there's a lot of situations where fracking might be going on in your local state and you just don't have the knowledge to really realize that it's something that's harming you longer term. 
So I would also like kind of to talk about the cons when it comes to extracting natural gas from private land. So that's actually a huge issue. And because people are so uneducated about fracking, I mean, now they probably understand a little bit of the concept, but a lot of people are uneducated about fracking. And probably the first time they'll hear about it is in a letter in the mail. Um, There'll be a letter from um, an oil company saying that they'll give you an X amount of money to frack on your land. Now, you don't really understand what that means. Um, You probably will later on if there's an oil spill or you realize that your faucet is catching on fire or something. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's become a real issue and a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of homes out west or anywhere there's a big oil field are affected by that. These are usually low-income families who see this amount and say, yeah, sure, you can come my land and you can frack it. And unfortunately, yeah, there's environmental issues. Yeah, so it leaves their land just full of holes, essentially, like a holy land. <laughs> like a holy <laughs> like, land. Like, they don't, they don't do anything. Once they frack, they just leave it. And then with the wastewater, they'll just dump into your nearby stream, which you get your drinking water from. And or also if you get your drinking water from the groundwater aquifer, now that's going into your home. And so there's a lot of people who actually started to buy big tanks of water from an outside source. And that was their drinking water. That was the water they showered with. They boiled water with. They weren't using municipal water. They were just buying from some kind of outside source. Sometimes they even thought about having their own treatment plant on their property, which is like insane. That's wild. Mm -hmm. The idea of having your own water treatment plant on your land is insanity. And expensive. Incredibly expensive. Or, you know, just buying these tanks of water from an outside source. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. You shouldn't have to do that. Absolutely. I'm really interested in the idea of, like, water degradation and water rights because I really do think... Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I think that water is definitely our limiting resource as a society. People really don't have a great concept of the cost of water longer Mm -hmm. term when it comes to like the environmental impacts, especially out here on the West, like we're in a drought ridden Mm -hmm. area. And I think that water is so heavily subsidized that people don't give a lot of thought to it. But on the idea of just contaminating your own drinking water after agreeing to allow a company to just frack on your land... So there are massive environmental concerns. There are longer-term degradation issues. Mm -hmm. I would love to kind of flip the switch a little bit and talk about the pros of fracking. Like, why should we even consider this as a viable way to receive our energy? You'll make a lot of money. Okay. That's about it. I'm not, I'm not kidding. When I was doing my research, I really tried to find the alternate perspective. And there could probably be a million different reasons but they all stem back to just profits. It was really hard for me to to accept that. And it was just, and that also just kind of gave me my push. And I, I was just, you know, so against the energy business. And I just, I just couldn't understand. I mean, they had enough influence to have it written in a regulation that they're exempt from. I, I don't know if it's the Safe Drinking Water Act or one of those, but I mean, pretty good laws that protect our drinking water and protect all of our citizens, that they're exempt and they can just contaminate and do whatever they want. They have that much influence and power to do something like that. And it's all for money. And when we talk about the energy business, so let's just Mm -hmm. think about the fracking processes and the companies that are primarily fracking. It's all a very profit-driven issue. Mm -hmm. So the pros to natural gas in my eyes are that it's slightly cleaner than coal. It's not a perfect solution to our climate issues. And I am a big advocate for clean energy sources. Mm -hmm. 
But I would love to talk a little bit about like what we can do moving forward because we do already have these processes in place. Mm -hmm. And knowing that your land has oil on it that is drillable. um, I'm not sure if drillable is the word that I want to use, but like (laughs) you have land that you can drill on. Mm -hmm. And the other issue is just that you can make a lot of profits off of this. Mm -hmm. Like what are alternatives to the fracking industry right now as Mm -hmm. it is? I think a word that was kind of thrown around, and I'm not really that um, educated on this, but the word is like peak oil. And so when people think about moving more toward renewables, and we think about the depletion of resources. So I think with continuing technology, and that's why we, we have hydraulic fracking, uh, fracturing in the first place, is because we have so many people working on new technologies to extract all these um, natural gas reserves, right? So I think, yeah, one, it's cleaner than coal. So you are right about that. There's only so much efficiency that you can extract out of coal and there's also so much efficiency that you can extract from anything that's natural gas powered right so i think moving forward again it's going to take a lot of policy changes administrative changes i think that policy is probably our largest Mm -hmm. tool when it comes to climate change solutions like it's something that people always think that because you are you know doing your own individual part that's great but we can't always rely on the goodwill of society. And policy is really how we are going to move towards those larger climate change solutions. Mm -hmm. So I would love to kind of talk a little bit about the idea of geopolitics, just like flipping the switch a little bit. We talked about it briefly, but the idea that we do have certain societal structures Mm -hmm. and power structures that exist based on where you are geographically. Mm -hmm. So I would just love to like pick your brain a little bit about what is geopolitics and how do we kind of assess it as a society? Well, it's a pretty powerful industry to kind of like overcome, but I think we're doing it slowly, you know, slowly um, with this whole new renewable energy movement and kick. And I think it's really, really cool to see that for once. And since I wrote my paper back in, when I was sophomore in college, we really had this shift where it's cheaper to incorporate renewable energy and to buy that electric car than to have something that's conventionally, you know, powered by natural gas or... So I think it's slowly but surely, but obviously it needs to happen a lot faster. Again, I think just policy and just having, you know, these movements, there's these climate strike movements that are happening right now. It's just engagement, interaction, and just kind of like letting your representatives know that like, this is what you want and we need to move on past that and we're seeing this huge boom again with the renewable energy companies in the united states and they're moving toward wind and solar power and they're starting to compete with these oil companies it just really makes you wonder how long the oil companies are really going to stay afloat i have like a curveball question Mm -hmm. for you so fracking is bad coal is bad what do you think is our best bet when it comes to renewables do you have like one renewable that you favor the way I like to look at things, similar to like the natural gas, I mean, obviously I'm very like against all of that, but I also like to think of like the alternatives of everything. Learning about the renewable energy, I like to think of, yeah, the pros and cons of each, right? There's always, no renewable energy is completely clean. Wind is great, right? Offshore wind, they talk about all this, but the infrastructure that goes into it, the cement, the cement that makes the wind infrastructure, right? There's all those emissions that go into cement making, right? We're not, we're not accounting for that. So, you know, there's those pros and cons. But again, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it is a lot better and is emitting a lot less. So I don't know if I really have one that I prefer, but I do think that we should start to incorporate it into our energy system, that our utilities should have 
a utility scale solar farm or utility scale, you know, like wind farm or something. I think that it's okay to have an individual, you know, PV panels on, on your house. But at the same time, I don't think that's a long-term solution at all. You're benefiting yourself and you will probably have a lot less energy bill than your neighbor, but you're not benefiting society. And so until you have that shift of the utility companies really incorporating all these different renewables. And I think it also depends on like the geographic region, you know, too, like that you can't have wind everywhere. You can't have solar everywhere, which once again, the utility companies don't like that inconsistencies, but you start to manipulate the, the grid a little bit and you become more creative. You can really make it work. I think that's a really good answer. I, yeah, I'm a big believer that geography plays a huge role in what renewable energy makes the most sense for your region. And utility companies are relatively localized. You know, like Arizona Mm -hmm. is on one grid, like Florida is only on two. I think that it's really a matter of figuring out what works for your particular area. So something that I always like to point out to people when they do talk about renewables, because I want people to think critically about these alternatives, is that renewables are really like not up to the standards that people believe they are right now. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time with like home solar panels, people don't always realize that the solar energy that's hitting those panels, only about 15% of it is being absorbed Mm -hmm. or turned into usable energy for your home. So I think that's really important to think about the longer term efficiency standards that we need to move towards. And with wind, people do talk a lot about the emissions that go into building wind farms. Mm -hmm. And that's also super water intensive. So you talked about the cement and the energy that goes into that and the emissions, Mm -hmm. but people don't think about the water impacts. And alternatively, people talk about things like, oh, wind is bad because it kills a lot of birds or it kills a lot of bats or something like that. But they say that cats that you let outdoors kill something like a hundred million birds every single year collectively in America. Something like a ridiculous yeah. statistic I recently heard. So they, they they talk about that, but they don't talk about the wastewater from fracking or they don't talk about the emissions from coal and the pollution. They don't make the connection or they don't talk about it. But once again, I think that goes back to the power of the energy business. And they just, so those tactics, I think, or those, you know, facts, are just tactics that the energy business is, is using. And yes, it might kill some birds, not killing a majority of the birds, you know, and there are so little impacts from renewable energy and they're just not even talking about the hundreds of impacts, environmental impact from coal and natural gas. And Yeah, I think a lot about that longer term, like education and what is the public yeah. aware of and what are they not? And the thing that always gets me when it comes to energy and public awareness and education, like we talked about earlier, is nuclear energy. So we don't have Mm. to like get too deep into nuclear, but I'm really interested in the idea of nuclear because you get so much power, you get so much yield from such a small amount of extraction Mm -hmm. in comparison to coal, especially. And people are worried about nuclear spills and nuclear explosions, but that is so incredibly rare that it is far better to have smaller concentrated solid emissions than all of the emissions that we're receiving from coal-fired power plants. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't always think about the amount, first off, of emissions and just the, yeah, just the conversion rate. Like coal is more efficient right now than a lot of renewable energies, but they say about 30% of the energy from your coal is actually usable energy. And you can only squeeze so much efficiency from coal. And we're pretty much at that point. And so when they keep talking about, you know, building more coal plants, or I don't know, people talk about advancing coal. I don't know really what they're talking about because we've only gone so far with what we can do 
with cold, there really isn't more that we can do. So it's time to move on. Yeah, you know, it's time like to move it's on. been done, especially coal. So this boom to natural gas. I mean, maybe that's another pro that we could talk about. Was it it replaces coal, but like it's still not good because you're keeping all of the the natural gas or you know the wastewater in these containers and it's emitting methane, which is thirty times more potent than you know CO two, and they're not doing anything about it. They're just that's why they leave it out is because they know that it's leaching emissions and they don't want to contain it properly, like all these other hazardous wastes that the EPA regulates. They just leave it in plastic containers and just, you know, let it be. Is there a way that we can contain those emissions? There probably is. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, we talk about it all the time. There's all these different ways. I don't personally know, but I am taking a class where we talk about like hazardous waste and you can contain it in like pretty thick containers and stuff. But at, at this point, like that's not even a topic we should be talking about, you know, and not I mean the like you and yeah. me, but like as a society, like why are we still so invested in these industries? We, right. we need to like start to move on. It's time. Right. It's time to move <laughs> on. Yeah. I think about the investment that we have as a society in a lot of industries like coal, even just the idea that so many people are worried about job loss. That is completely reasonable. But if we are opening an entire new mm-hmm. industry of renewables, there's a lot of new opportunity that people are not really willing to move towards a lot yeah. of the time. And again, it's not a solution everywhere, but a lot of places are very equipped for mm-hmm. replacing their coal mines with different renewables. So I recently mm-hmm. read an advertisement actually for West Virginia, like coal capital of the world. And it wasn't actually it wasn't an advertisement. It was by this girl on Instagram who works for NASA. Her name is Emily Calandretti. Have you ever seen? She's no. so interesting. She works for NASA and does a lot of like space advocacy education on Instagram. And she's from West Virginia. So she was discussing how West Virginia should really think more about moving towards solar farms because yes, they do have all of these coal plants that are being abandoned, but they also have a lot of unusable contaminated land. And that's mm-hmm. prime to just put up a solar panel exactly. and call it a day and then you can move on. They actually started doing that at chernobyl they actually just installed did you you, yeah yes they just did that at chernobyl it makes so much sense now it still might be a little bit hazardous for the workers there and there's all those issues but it's it's wasted land and so i think that's so cool and important and we should see that as an example going back to the job issue something that i saw in a documentary like a few weeks ago was we've always had this shift of old technology and new technology just because we invented the car doesn't mean that people who were building you know horse and buggies like didn't mean that there still wasn't a industry for them to move on to does that make sense so and same thing for the typewriters right so we had typewriters and then we had this all computer boom right but that doesn't mean that they're yes they are shutting down jobs for people who make typewriters or in that business but now you're opening more jobs in another field well we've always been in this changing society and that's always been kind of like the number one like pushback i feel like within any kind of industry they always talk about oh like we're taking our jobs and i was like well yes but also we're creating new jobs and like this is how you grow if you want to talk about growing and you know as a society and that the economy this is what has to be done and this is what's been done for hundreds of years so i don't there really is no argument there yeah i think that the one argument I could think of is the training aspect of it. It's like, how are we going to move these people True. into the new jobs? Mm-hmm. So I think on that topic, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about policy and just advocating in your particular region to your representatives 
about investing in job training Mm -hmm. for a lot of people transitioning out of older industry jobs. So that's definitely something that I could see the importance of a representative and just also education Mm -hmm. on the part of people. Again, it's just like, don't let people frack on your land, but also don't let people push you into a field that you're not prepared to take on to. And I understand that argument as well. So I can definitely see the need for reform on a higher level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also saw something recently, I think it was in California. I don't know if it was government run or an NGO, but they taught low income people, mostly adults, how to install solar panels. And they literally, their job titles were solar panel installers. Like they took this, this, this training course and they just learned how to install solar panels. And so one, you're just benefiting the economy. And two, you're employing these low-income people. And I think that it was just so important. And they felt like they were actively contributing to this such, like this huge movement in society. But they also knew that they had so little and they thought they didn't have as much access or impact. They couldn't make an impact like that. So it was so enlightening for them. They even had a little like graduation and everything. So it was really cute to see that and that they can make a huge impact, even with if they thought that they had so little access or impact in doing so. Yeah. And I think that's interesting thinking back to our earlier conversation of geopolitics and but just a lot of people having influence over a larger group of people. And I think it's really important to put that empowerment aspect in the energy conversation that really everyone has the option to think a little bit deeper about their contribution to this, whether it is moving from coal plant jobs into more renewable fields. Mm -hmm. But it's also a lot of the time just educating yourself on your energy bill and like what plan are you on and Mm -hmm. why does that matter? And are you choosing to spend an extra 25 cents a kilowatt hour for just purchasing more renewable energy? So things like that. So I think it's a lot of a lot of critical thinking goes into Mm -hmm. it, but it's also a matter of realizing your strengths and your power as an individual. So I think that the energy conversation is really daunting, especially just like starting the conversation off with fracking is scary. You know, for most people, like people are intimidated by the conversation of fracking. Mm -hmm. But I think moving into the idea of renewables, yes, it's great. And it sounds so like butterflies and rainbows. This is how we're going to save the planet. But there are a lot of other issues that come along with it. So that's job training aspect of it that is the economic shift that's like the individual consumer empowerment of it Mm -hmm. but I think that's a really important conversation to have where can everyone get a hold of you if they have more questions on energy or fracking or anything along those lines you can follow me on instagram or twitter at christina bean 96 again that's christina with a chr bean b-e-a-n 96 thank you so much for hanging out tonight I appreciate this so much And I'm really excited to get some feedback and get people's ideas on the idea of renewable energy and the ideas of fracking. And I think it's an important conversation to have. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with my friend Christina Lizzo. I thought this was really insightful when it comes to energy and politics and geography. So I hope this encourages you to just think a little bit deeply the next time you are at the gas pump. You know, how is the price the way that it is? And the next time you plug in your laptop, where did that come from? If you would like to chat, the easiest way to get in contact with us is at Podcast on Instagram. So I love to get your feedback and see you sharing the episodes on your story and just talk to you guys a little bit more deeply about sustainability and climate change and whatever else is coming your way. My personal page is at Laura E. Diaz, and you can also email me via my website, lauraediaz.com. And that is always down in the show notes below. 
Don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. And I hope you guys have a really great day. I'll see you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.